Hey everyone, our greatest desire is that this podcast would make you more excited about studying the Bible. So we encourage all to come to their own conclusions based on a personal study of God's word regarding the subjects being discussed. The views expressed by the guests on this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of our sponsors or who they represent. If you enjoy the show, please leave us a review or share it with your friends. Now, here's the show. It's, it's easy to kind of stand for God now mm-hmm. in everyday life. These young men are standing when everything that they had was on the line. Crisis reveals character. And I think when this crisis mm-hmm. came about, God was saying, let's see now, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, let's see what you're made of. There's a crisis now. And in this crisis, we're going to see if you're really standing for God or were you standing with Daniel? I'm Dean Cullinane, and you're listening to Why They Did That, a show that explores the motivations of biblical characters and how their choices can guide yours. We've got Nolan Edwards on the show today from Queens, New York. He's had the privilege of traveling all over the world sharing the deep insights that God has given him on health and spirituality from the Bible. Surprisingly enough, those insights often come from the prophetic book of Daniel. And that's where we're headed in this episode. Now, the first character we're introduced to isn't Daniel. It's Nebuchadnezzar the king of the great nation of Babylon. Essentially, Nebuchadnezzar isn't happy with the Hebrews, and quite frankly, neither is God. And so the king practically destroys the city, laying waste to many of God's people, but not all of them. You see, Nebuchadnezzar asked that the very best young people be taken as captives back to Babylon which, by the way, was hundreds of miles away, which basically meant months of nonstop walking. They were even castrated on the way. It was horrible. Um, But essentially, his plan was to brainwash them all and to destroy their Hebrew identity so that not only would they live in Babylon, but they'd actually be Babylonian. If you look at the chapter very carefully in Daniel chapter one, there are three things Mm -hmm. that the king implemented in order to change their minds. Okay. These three things, even though we see them exerted in Daniel chapter one, again, this entire situation started way before because it was prophesied. Mm -hmm. And I believe that Daniel's parents and Hazariah, Mishael and and Hananiah's parents prepared them for this very moment. Mm. Um, And as a result of the biblical prophecy, they kind of knew in advance the kind of things that they were to prepare for. So they're they're quite young. They're they're young. You know, it's roughly estimated by scholars that they were 17 to 18 years of age at most. So these are young men. These are like academy graduates almost. Exactly. (laughs) All right. So the three things first, as you go through the chapter, you you find that they tried to change their names. Mm -hmm. And names have significant meanings. Uh, Daniel, Daniel's naming means judge of God. Okay. And Daniel's name was changed to Belshazzar, which means Prince of Bel. So you see strategically and systematically that King Nebuchadnezzar 
understood that names represent character. Mm -hmm. And there's a Bible text in 1 Samuel 25, 25 that says, Nabal is his name and follies with him. And then it says, as his name is, so is he. Mm. So because he understood that names represent character, he says, maybe if I could change their names, I want to utilize their wisdom, but I need to change their mind from serving their God to serving my God. So if, if their names have sim symbolic meanings, then if I change their name, then it is my goal to change their character. So, so, it's the so same Daniel's goal. name became Prince of Bel? Prince of Bel. What is, what is Bel? Bel is some kind of pagan false god that like a the Babylonian Babylonians god? worship, a Babylonian god. And then um, Hananiah, gift from the Lord, changed to Shadrach, servant of sin. So you Mercy. can see that it was systematic and strategic that Nebuchadnezzar was trying to change their names and change their character. Mishael, who is what God is, changed to Meshach, who is what Aku is. Again, Aku, another Babylonian god. You know, they serve many gods. This right. is a Sumerian equivalent to sin. And then Azariah, whom Jehovah helps, Abednego, servant of Nebo. So all of these, all of these young Jewish men have God in their name. Exactly. And that's the one thing in each of their cases that's taken completely out. But kind of going back to what I said, because of their training, mm -hmm. they realize, you know, they could call me whatever they want. Mm. I know my name. I know my purpose. And I know my name was given off me by my parents as a result of them praying and asking God what they should name me. And they knew that my name will represent my character. So even though he might change my name, I know what my name is. As you read through Daniel 7, Daniel 8, and Daniel 9, Daniel never ever referred to himself as Belteshazzar. He always says, I, Daniel, I, judge of God, not I, um, prince of Bel. But Nebuchadnezzar doesn't stop there. Exactly. They tried to change their education. And, you know, and we spent a lot of time in our classroom with teachers and so on and so forth. But because of the foundation that has been laid by Daniel's parents and, you know, the prophets of Israel, he had a, such a solid foundation that he says, you know what, even if I go to the schools of Babylon at this stage in my life, I can still hold, hold firm to the principles that my parents instilled in me uh, as a young man. So they didn't fight too much against the education as well. Right. They, they didn't, which struck me as quite strange. I remember discussing with some friends, you know, where we would all go to study. And of course, one thing that you have to consider is how much worldly influence will there be at these schools? Yeah. And I'll never forget one of my friends saying to me, well, you know, uh, you know, I'll, I'll be fine at this school. After all, Daniel went to university in Babylon and he came out just fine. <laughs> the, the difference, of course, is that Daniel didn't choose to go to Babylon. He was right. literally forced to go there. But there is truth in there. You know, Daniel is essentially proof that it is possible to go to these educational and academic institutions and remain faithful to God. And another thing that's very important as well is that Daniel was specifically trained for that. So when persons are considering other universities, I'm not going to say yay or nay. They have to let the Lord lead them. But Daniel's providence brought him there. But it's, it's good to also keep in mind that he was prepare for that very event. And as a result, that's one of the main reasons why he was able to stand true mm. in the midst of that trials and those tribulations. You know, I have to ask myself when I study this, why would they not fight against the name? Why would they not fight against the education? But all of a sudden they come to the diet and they're like, wait a minute, this far and no further. Hmm. So then I began to look into why is it that 
you know, they, they stood so firm for diet when they, you know, allowed, were willing to compromise on other things. So we're talking about um, verse 8 here in verse Daniel eight, 1? Daniel chapter 8. The Bible says, And Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Yeah, that is interesting. Daniel didn't fight against his name being changed. He didn't... You know, he didn't refuse to enroll in the Babylonian university. Exactly. But when it comes to his diet, he does see this as an issue that he's just not willing to compromise on. Absolutely. Because I believe that erroneous eating and drinking leads to erroneous thinking and acting. The object of Nebuchadnezzar was to change their minds. That's why he changed the name. That's why he changed the education. But also that's why he changed the diet. This isn't just theory. The Bible tells us that after Daniel and his friends take the stand in refusing the king's food, that they are tested and found to be 10 times smarter than their peers. And we don't often think of the link between appetite and our spiritual lives. But think about this. What was the temptation of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden? It was to eat the forbidden fruit. What does it say about the city of Sodom and Gomorrah before they were destroyed? That their sins were that of pride and fullness of bread. And then even with Jesus himself, the first temptation he faced in the wilderness directly from the devil was about turning the stone into bread. Satan knows that if he can get access to our minds through the foods that we eat, not only does it begin to destroy us physically, but it begins to hinder us spiritually too. Now we know of course that Daniel wasn't taken to Babylon alone. Uh There were loads of Hebrews taken, but the only ones that are ever mentioned are Daniel and his three friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And they're always mentioned in that very order, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, And you think that there might be something in that? Absolutely. My first Bible study ever Hmm. was Daniel chapter 2. Oh, it was? That was 1996. Same with me, just a few years later. (laughs) I cannot tell you, honestly, how many times I read Daniel chapter 1 and Daniel chapter 2. It's probably countless. Hmm. And it was about within a year that I discovered, as you read through Daniel chapter 1, it's very systematic. Um, When you look at verse um, verse 5, not among these were of the children of Judah. Notice the order, as you mentioned, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. Mm-hmm. Verse 7, same thing. Daniel, name mentioned first. And then in verse 8, it says, and Daniel purposed in his heart. All right. Now we know the end result of the story. It was not only Daniel that purposed in his heart. All three of them did. Mm-hmm. All four of them, rather. Right. Why does the Bible says Daniel purpose in his heart and not Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah? Is it just because this is the book of Daniel? Well, uh, <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> and then in verse 9 now, now God had brought Daniel into favor and tender love with the prince of the eunuchs. And the prince of the eunuchs said unto Daniel in verse 10. Mm-hmm. And it seemed like Daniel always took the lead. Right. Verse 11, then said Daniel to Melzar. Um, so again, you see systematically that Daniel's name is always mentioned either first or mentioned exclusively. Right. Very systematic. Now, my conclusion is this. 
that there's lessons of great importance that can be learned from the history of Daniel and his companions. Daniel's name is mentioned first in the, in the record books. And the reason why I believe this is that he exerted an influence over the other three. And um, I believe that they looked at Daniel as a, as a leader. Mm. And because they looked at Daniel, watch what Daniel was doing. Is he going to eat or is he not going to eat? Is he going to bow down or is he not going to bow down? Is he going to give into this temptation or is he not going to give into this mm-hmm. temptation? I believe that he exerted such an influence over the other three that if Daniel had failed, I believe that those other three companions would have also failed. Mm. And we can see that these three young men, their life physically, their salvation spiritually was to a large extent dependent upon the influence of Daniel. Mm. And I'm thankful that Daniel exerted a positive influence. And as a result of his influence, we see that in Daniel chapter one, that they were willing to take a stand with Daniel. But if Daniel had said, I'm going to eat, I believe that they would have eaten as well. So essentially the choices that Daniel is making in his own personal life are having a direct effect on that, which his friends are also going to make. Absolutely. Now we mentioned that as a result of Daniel's stand, that Daniel was brought in favor with the king. Now, when you go to chapter two, um, you find that, you know, the king had this dream and he couldn't figure it out. And mm-hmm. he went to everyone else and then they, they made a death decree and they came to Daniel again. Um, and they said, you know, here's a death decree. No one can figure out the dream. Everyone is going to be put to death. And then when you go to chapter two, it's, it's amazing. You see the same pattern. Let's just look at just a few points in verse 13. It says, And the decree went forth that the wise men should be slain. And they sought Daniel and his fellows to be slain. Again, Daniel and his fellows to be slain. Then Daniel answered. Again, you see that he took the leadership role. Mm -hmm. Even though they were all around the same age, Daniel took the forefront to be the leader um, of these young men. And then the Bible says in verse 15 of Daniel chapter 2, He answered and said to Ariok, the king's captain, why is the decree so hasty from the king? Then Ariok made the uh, the thing known to Daniel. Then Daniel went in to desire of the king. Now, Daniel recognized that Christian fellowship is important. Mm. Um, Even though you're willing to stand alone and you're able to stand alone if, if God bids you, it's always good to have brethren praying with you and fasting with you. So Daniel recognized that this was a matter of prayer. Mm -hmm. And he went and called those same friends that stood with him in chapter one and said, you know what? Here's a decree. We know about it. The only thing that we could do now is pray and ask God for wisdom to give us the interpretation of the dream. And they could, he could have done that by himself. He could have done it by himself. Um, but there's something about uniting with the brethren in prayer that, you know, it gives encouragement. And I believe to a certain extent, it gives more power. So now, as a result of their prayer, as a result of Daniel's fervency and taking a role of leadership, God did reveal the dream to him. Now, as a result of that, let's go to chapter 2 and look at verse 48. It says, Then the king made Daniel a great man. Now, what I like about this, even though the king made Daniel a great man. Essentially, this is a promotion. He got promoted. Right. Well, Daniel didn't say, well, praise God. You know, I'm pious. I'm religious. I'm righteous. I made the right choices. And, you know, those guys were only followers anyway. Let me just go ahead and take my promotion and leave them where they are. Uh Uh-huh. Daniel recognized it was the uniting of the prayers of him and his friends that gave wisdom to that dream. He recognized that um, if he had left them too prematurely on their own because of the influence that he was exerting over them, 
they probably would have still failed. So he said, they need to spend more time with me in council. That's what I believe at least. And then in verse 49, it says, then Daniel requested of the king and he set Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel sat in the gate of the king. So even though Daniel still had a higher position, mm -hmm. he didn't just leave his friends in a position that they were in. He says, king, I know you're promoting me, but I united with my friends in prayer. It was not just me. They prayed with me. Right. Uh, they, we stood together in chapter one. And if you're going to promote me, you know, at least you know, do me a favor and promote my friends as mm -hmm. well. Mm -hmm. So Daniel still utilizes influence, even though he received the higher position, he didn't forget from whence he came and he asked and requested that his friends be promoting with him as well. Now, how does this translate to us? Because we're talking about a lot about story that happened, uh, you know, 2,500 years ago, right. roughly, probably even more. So how's, how does that translate to us today? You know, I'm quite sure you have, and I have as well, many experiences where we have seen influence mm -hmm. used for good and influence used in the wrong way as well. And unfortunately, I have a story of um, a father figure of mine whose son was influenced in the wrong direction. Young man, 19 years old, roughly the same age as Daniel. Grew up in the same kind of home as Daniel, Christian home, taught religious piety and um, went to Christian schools and mm -hmm. to a large extent homeschool as well. Uh, he went to college, kind of what we talked about earlier. And when he went to the college, uh, he got caught up with the wrong crowd mm. and they exerted a negative influence. Right. And as a result of the negative influence that was exerted, you know, he was tempted to go and do a robbery. You know, sometimes people, uh, a lot of youth, they do it just for a rush and just to, you know, get a thrill out of it. And, and mm -hmm. you know, they don't realize that one of the main temptations of Satan is to just try to think just once, just mm -hmm. once. Most intravenous drug users, they thought they were going to try it just once. Most uh, person that are on even some prescription medications or have made poor choice in their life, they thought they were just going to try it just once. And that's how Satan gets you. Just try it once. Just take one step not recognize that step is going to have a trickling and domino effect that leads to other steps. Hmm. So unfortunately, he made a bad choice to do, go and do the robbery and everything went sour. And long story short, he ended up murdering the guy in the store. Wow. Um, ended up shooting the guy. and He was 19? 19 years old. And the unfortunate thing, he was 19 and he was in jail until the age of 42, 43. So that's roughly 23 to 24 years that he spent in jail. His best years. Best years of, of, of life. You know, that's when you, you develop. That's when your mind is, uh, you know, is developed. That's when you, 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 you know, you get family and family structure. And those, um, you know, most energetic best years of his life were spent in jail. And um, 24 years later, uh, you know, this was in the state of Alabama. They have very strict rules as far as death penalties are concerned. Mm -hmm. And um, he ran out of all options. And uh, unfortunately, about three to four years ago, he was executed. Oh, wow. And I unfortunately had to watch his parents mourn of how their son was executed. Now, the only positive things about this, which I still don't recommend, is that as a result of his time in prison, he, he was able to give his um, life to the Lord. He did get to study. His parents did minister to him. Mm. And doubtless, he's going to be saved. We, you know, they give the, the greatest assurance that they know that their son is going to be saved eventually. But it doesn't take away from the wasted years. And not everyone has that same privilege and opportunity to receive salvation due to the poor choices that they made in the early years. And that's why the Bible says that we should give the Lord our energies and our minds, you know, in our youthful years. And, you know, we hear of stories like this, but 
I doubt that that this young man that this you know these were his aspirations growing up. Exactly. Um, but you know, as you said, he associates with the wrong people, and before he even probably realizes, it, he's doing things that he never thought he would do. Exactly. And. That's the thing about influence. That's right. Is that oftentimes it is subconscious. We don't just think, oh yeah, you know, I'm I'm being influenced right now. Should I do this or should I not? It's one of those slow, like tiny step after tiny right. step compromises that we make, and we can almost feel this this kind of I don't know the word to use, kind of atmosphere of of influence. Like you know, sometimes you'll walk into a room. Two people have just been in there, maybe work colleagues. You walk in, and you didn't know that they just had an argument mm-hmm, mm-hmm. with one another. But you walk in, and and you can almost feel it in the air. Now, right. I'm, not, I'm not trying to get mystical or anything yeah. like that, but <laughs> but you can kind of sense tension, yes, yes, and and these kind of things. And I think even with with our own influence, um, a lot of what we do is is unintentional, but it's still having. That's right. That kind of influence, you know, like we've, I, I used to hear many times as a child, you know, if, if you see someone, even if you don't know them, just smile at them. That's right. You don't know what a smile could do mm-hmm. for them. It has this, we call it the butterfly effect. That's you right. smile at this person um, they make, you know, a choice not to do this foolish thing, which helps this person and so on and so forth. Um, I remember reading um, from one of, one of uh, my favorite authors, she described it as throwing a pebble in a lake. That's right. And you see the the ripples and they go on and they, they start really small, That's but right. they, they expand and they mm-hmm. go right until they, they reach the the shore of the lake. And and I for me, that really kind of encapsulated just how powerful influence really is in that I, I can I can affect others, even not by trying. That's right. You know, just just by the way I carry myself, the way that I speak to people, the way that I look at people, can can influence the decisions that people are going to make. We have a powerful influence over people, even when we're not trying. That's exactly right. You know, the Bible says, um, uh, basically, it's a step by step process. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Um, he that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. So Satan knows. You know, we're in the studio. We're looking at a door. If he wants to get you to that door. No one is going to stand, you know, 20 to 30 feet away and try to take one leap through that door. Mm-hmm. So he said, why don't you just take one step? Then you take that one step. Then he says, why don't you take another step? Just come a little closer. And then come a little closer. And before you know it, you're out the door. And uh, there's a statement that I've read that says, those who have step by step yielded to worldly demands and has conformed to worldly customs will not find it a hard matter to yield to the powers that be. Which means Satan knows where he wants to get you. And he's just going to say, take one step, then take another step, then take another step. And before you know it, you're fully fledged uh, in a worldly environment or, uh, you, you know, you've been sapped and pulled out of the environment in which you have been brought up in the purpose that God has had for your life. Uh, but there's another statement that I've read that's very, very powerful. It says, God leads his people on step by step. And, you know, as I look at my own personal life, you know, I could see that I've made great strides in my Christian walk. And that's why it's, it's important for us as Christians not to look down upon people um, because we must understand that we were once in the same position. At least some of us were once in the same position that they were in. Or worse. And God, uh, or worse, exactly. <laughs> and God's led us on step by step to where we are. And we know that even where we are, there's still much more steps to advance. And so um, two things, 
everything that we do on a day-to-day basis, as you mentioned, whether it be small or great, whether it's a smile, whether it's a hug, whether it's, you know, giving someone something that they're in need of, Mm. those are influence that we could be exerting that's swaying uh, the realms of Satan and bringing someone out of his net. Everything that we do on a day-to-day basis, whether we're at work, whether we're at school, whether we're talking to a coworker, whether, you know, they're watching the things that we eat, how we react, how we speak, we're always exerting an influence. We must be watchful of that. Daniel is very clearly the leader of this group of four young men. And given that they've been taken from their homes at such a young age, they're doing pretty well. But just over the horizon lies a test that would shape their life and their legacy forever. Just just trust me, you're going to want to hear what happens next. You're listening to Why They Did That. Have you ever wished you could just hit the reset button? Over the course of life, we've all made some pretty bad decisions when it comes to our health. And at times, it may seem as though these decisions are irreversible. But what if they're not? The New Start program, based in Weimar, California, is a physician-monitored, scientifically-researched lifestyle change program based on eight fundamental principles proven to help you achieve optimum health. This health recovery program is designed to prevent and reverse disease through natural methods, and they have had some truly astounding results. It's something that you just have to see, or better yet, experience. For more information, visit www.newstart.com. Daniel 3. Nebuchadnezzar has set up an image. It's 90 feet tall and made entirely of gold. He sends the word out. Everyone, the entire world is to meet in the plains of Dora to take part in a collective act of submission to the might of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. Music, oh, loud music. And at that sound, all would bow down and worship the idol towering above them. If they refused, fire. They would be thrown into a flaming furnace, burnt alive in front of all gathered that day. And Daniel, their brother, their friend, their leader, he's nowhere to be found. This was their test, the greatest test they would ever face. Here's a providence of God. It's just amazing when you watch and read the Bible. God knew that these young men were so dependent upon Daniel. And the Bible says, cursed is a man that trusteth in man. Mm. God wants us to have an individual relationship with him. Mm-hmm. And um, I believe that's why God made Adam, then had a relationship with him, put Adam to sleep, made Eve, had an individual relationship with her, and then he brought them together. Mm. God wants us to have individual relationships. And at this point, it's hard to tell whether these young men had their own religious piety, their own relationship with God, um, or were they just following what their leader was doing. Right. So I believe that the providence of God led them now to chapter three. And because of Daniel's promotion, he's now taken out of the picture. Mm -hmm. And now God is saying, now what will they do as they stand without Daniel? When you take a stand for God, sometimes you stand out. Mm. And um, as a result, you know, you may gain popularity, but not the popularity that's mixed with pride. Right. So they gain popularity. And now 
the soldiers are puzzled. They went to the king and said, here is it that these three young men that you have promoted king, they're not following your counsel. They're not bowing down. I've, I've always found it interesting that the soldiers who should yeah. have been bowing down managed to see three people. That's right. That weren't bowing down. <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe they had a, 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 you know, excuse in a past to watch. But yeah, maybe they're exempt. <laughs> but notice what it says in verse 16 of Daniel chapter 3. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in the matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. Hmm. And he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. And these are the words that I love. But if not, I love those words, but if not, Hmm. be known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. So what they're saying is, I know that God can deliver me. He delivered us in chapter one. He delivered us in chapter two. Mm-hmm. And I have those experiences to reflect back on. Right. But I want you to know that even if he does not, hmm. I'm still not going to bow down to your God. I'm wow. still going to serve the God of heaven. And what I love about this is now Daniel is removed from the picture. And this, if not, is death. That's death. If, if they don't bow down, it's the fiery furnace. And when you read the rest of the chapter, you see how hot it is because uh-huh. the soldiers who brought them near the fiery furnace themselves were burned up. There is, at least in my opinion, no greater test of your spiritual strength, of your relationship with God, when your life is actually on the line. You know, for many of us, we stand now when it's easy to stand. That's right. I mean, we don't live in a place where there's really any religious persecution. Um, you know, no one cares if we if we take our Bible out That's into right. public and read it on public transport or something like that, at least not too much. Um, it's, it's easy to kind of stand for God now mm-hmm. in everyday life. These young men are standing when everything that they had was on the line. Crisis reveals character. And I think when this crisis mm-hmm. came about, God was saying, let's see now, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, let's see what you're made of. There's a crisis now. And in this crisis, we're going to see if you're really standing for God or were you standing with Daniel? And there's a difference. Now, what I love about this chapter, and this is how we should conduct ourselves as Christians um, and as witnesses for God. Our objective is not to lead people to ourselves. Our hearts are deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. We are capable of failing people as well. Yeah. I believe that Daniel was not leading them to himself. He was leading them to the God of heaven. Mm-hmm. And now in chapter three, when you drop down to verse 25, as the king, as they were now, you know, uh, thrown into the fire furnace with the object of, you know, dying for the transgression that the king uh, of the law of the king that instilled, had instilled. Uh-huh. The king is looking down and he says, didn't we throw three men into this fiery furnace? Right. Then he says, how comes I'm seeing four? And when he looked, he said, I see the fourth is like the son of God. So he saw that Jesus was amongst these three men. In the fire with them. In the fire with them. You know, if people are looking to Narlin or looking to Dean, uh, we, as I mentioned, have the possibility that we might fail them. But what God was teaching them, and I believe that this is an important lesson in the book of Daniel, that even if Daniel fail you, even if Narlin fails you, even if Dean fails you, I'm going to be right there by your side. So Daniel led them to Christ. Mm-hmm. And as a result, they saw now that even if Daniel is not there, I have Jesus at my side. 
and they take a stand for God. That's right. And then we see God standing with them. But the challenge isn't standing with God, is it? It's staying with him. People have asked me, you know, Dean, how, how, do, you, how do you keep that going? Like, okay, I know that I should be praying to God. I know mm-hmm. that I should be studying. I know I should share, you know, his word with those that, that don't yet have it in their lives. And I've done those things, but then time after time, I find that I just fall back into my own ways and I kind of, I give up or I get discouraged. And, and for me, the only thing, I guess the realization that I had is I know who I am without Jesus in my life. That's right. I know the person that I can be. I know the terrible things that can come out of my mouth. I know the influence that I can have on others if I'm not spending time with Jesus. And for me, you don't really know who you are until you've learned who you are without Jesus. That's right. And for me, that person scares me a little. That's right. And you know, that person scares me a lot. You know, I have a wife, I have a family, I've got friends to think that just to think of the damage that I could potentially do to someone's life. If I'm not praying to God and if I'm not asking him to change me and if I'm not reading his word and if I'm not making an effort to reach those that don't know the things that I know about him, then I don't really know him myself. That's right. And, you know, kind of go back to what I originally stated in, uh, John 17, three, this is life eternal that you might know thee, the mm. only true God in Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. That's the object of a Christian. And, you know, kind of going back to my inception of Christianity, when I had the Bible study, I used to hang out with some friends and I did some really worldly things with them. Mm. And for me personally, I know at that point, the influence that they had over me was stronger than the influence that God had over me. Right. So what did I do? If I really wanted to hold on to the scriptures, I had to make a decision that I'm going to separate myself from my friends mm. until my relationship with God is strong enough that I can, in essence, witness to them. Right. And kind of going back to what you said, some of the reasons why a lot of the young people are not able to hold on is that they don't recognize the, the, the condition of their heart. And we won't ever fully recognize mm-hmm. it. But at least I was wise enough to recognize that my friends, based on the things that we have done for so many years, it's going to, to exert a strong influence over me at this point than what I've been studying the Word of God for just a few short months. So I stayed away from them. And then as a result, when God built that relationship with me personally, right. then I was able to go back and witness to them and seeing some of them give their hearts to the Lord. So that's that, something that's, we want to consider. That's what we see is that my own relationship with God must be personal because salvation is personal. That's right. You know, like if, if I allow... Christ to save me, if I surrender everything that I'm holding on to and I allow him to come into my life to save me, to give me that eternal life that I may know him, it's only because of the decision that I'm making. Someone else can't make that decision for me, regardless of what even even what influence they may have on me. That's right. And even Daniel, you know, um, the, we saw that even though Daniel got them to a certain point, uh-huh. when you look in the book of Ezekiel chapter 14, it says, though Noah... Daniel and Job were in it. They shall deliver neither son nor daughter. They shall deliver their own souls by their own righteousness. So one person cannot deliver you. You must have that personal relationship with God yourself. So so Daniel can't save his friends. No, he can't. He can lead them. Right. But at the end of the day, 
Just like Adam and everyone that has ever walked on this earth, God has given us something called the freedom of choice. And that's what makes God a loving God. Uh-huh. He's not looking for robots. He's looking for people that would choose who they will serve. As God came into my heart now, and as God, you know, began to change my heart, I developed a burden for those who have influenced wrong. Because I mentioned I had many friends and also cousins and family members mm-hmm. who I know that I've influenced wrong. And, you know, growing up, I kind of grew up into the, you know, hip hop culture, right, uh, right. liking certain kind of music and uh, to a certain extent, the culture of it. And my cousins, two young cousins uh, that were pretty innocent, I kind of introduced this music to them. Okay. And, um, and to a certain extent, the lifestyle. And what was sad to me is that they actually took it a step further than I did, especially this one particular cousin. You know, he actually started to rap and started to become a rapper. And oh, then, so he wasn't just listening to he it wasn't now. Just he was, he was it. becoming like, it. Yeah, for me, right. I could listen to it without trying to live it. Mm. But he listened to it and then he tried to live it. And then he started the smoking. Then he started the drug selling. Then he started the gang banging and all the things that the rappers, the rap songs talked about. Mm. And whereas I would, could listen to it and stay away from carrying out the actions of what the song says, he, he began to live it out. And then I realized that, man, if I had not introduced this to him, maybe he wouldn't be doing the things that he's doing. And it, before he became a Christian, this kind of scared me because now he's out there gunslinging, gang banging, robbing, and doing things that these songs are saying. And I'm not, I'm worried that my cousin is going to lose his life physically. So, so you... You didn't know Jesus yet. No, didn't that, know Jesus. That part yet. of your life hadn't happened. It had not happened. You introduced him to this. I introduced him to it. But yet you were still scared that he was going to lose his because life because of how far he had went. Exactly. Hmm. Now you can imagine when the Lord came into my heart now, and I'm looking at my cousin. Hmm. How much more? Even from a secular standpoint, I saw that something was wrong. Right. So now, as a Christian, you can imagine how burdened I was to, to you know, to reverse the curse and. Uh, since I've influenced him for wrong, I'm praying and asking God now, please, Lord, help me to influence him for good. And I tried for years, um, only to fail. Um, they, they were too steeped in a culture, too steeped in, you know, love and the lust of the world. And, um, you know, they'll listen to me. They'll be respectful. They'll come around me. They'll not smoke. They'll come around me, around me and not curse. And they <laughs> won't listen to the music when they're around me. But they still didn't have that experience for themselves. Right. So I continued to pray. And, you know, kind of like Joseph something happened in his life that Satan meant for evil, but God turned it around and made it for good. And um, unfortunately, his girlfriend committed suicide. Your cousins? My cousin's girlfriend, yeah. Wow. And uh, when she when she committed suicide, it literally tore him to shreds. Yeah. And the reason why it did is she was calling him all day and he would not answer his phone. And knowing him, he was probably doing a lot of things that he shouldn't have been doing. He was a womanizer as well. I'm not sure what he was doing, but he was doing a lot of things that were early. And he ignored her calls, and then he got home to see his girlfriend hanging from a chair, and they had a young daughter. Oh, man. So that really impacted him. Um, then he started talking to me and many other ministers, and he began to talk to a lot of people that were telling him, you know, things that he wanted to hear. And as a cousin, I was just honest with him. You know, he was worried about where she's going to end up. And then I said, cuz, in all honesty, I'm not going to put her in heaven or hell. I don't know the intentions of our heart. I'm not sure of her experience. And God used a lot of factors to judge someone. She could have repented in the midst of realizing that she's made a poor choice or maybe she just didn't know God and God is going to hold her accountable to what she know. But what I can say is that now you can control your own destiny. Mm. You can't control what happened to her. In, in that, that's past and we won't know for sure until the resurrection day. 
But I said, imagine now that she did repent last minute and she did give her heart to the Lord. And now she's looking for you and your daughter. Where will you be? And then that led to some studies. He broke down in tears. Mm. And he says, I want to see her again. I say, if you want to see her again, then you have to give your heart to the Lord. And then that opened the doors for me to study with him. And, um, you know, I opened my my phone up to him. I said, call me at any time because I'm here for you. Mm. And he, I, I didn't know he would take it quite literally. <laughs> <laughs> You call me at 1 a.m. and 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. and <laughs> uh, you know you oftentimes <laughs> I had to work. <laughs> but you know, for the, the for me to have the opportunity to reverse the negative influence that I exerted on my cousin, mm. you know, that was a small thing to me. Mm. And praise God, um, another circumstance happened. His mother developed a hemorrhage and she was hospital, hospitalized in the midst of our study. And at that point, we had studied enough to uh, for him to have a basis to make a choice for the Lord. And he says, Lord, if you take my mother out of the circumstance, mm. I'm going to be baptized. And sure enough, his mom, who couldn't walk and couldn't talk, is now 100% recovered. Wow. And as soon as she got out of the hospital and began to make strides, I was able to see my cousin get baptized and give his heart to the Lord. So the influence that I exerted negatively that led him away and further away from Christ, praise God, he gave me the opportunity once again to exert a positive influence. And I was able to see my cousin give his heart to the Lord somebody's life eternally could be depend upon my actions on a day-to-day basis. And we must always be conscious that what we're doing and what we're not doing is leading someone to or away from Christ. He that hath an ear, let him hear. And you've just heard our latest show. If you'd like to hear more or hearken back to a previous episode, you can find us at whythedidthat.org. Please also subscribe to our show at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow us on your favorite social media accounts, Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at whythedidthat. This show was produced and edited by Christian Freed. Finally, we want to thank Weimar Institute the media department, and especially Teresa Costello for help making this possible. Once again, I'm Dean Cullinane, and you're listening to Why They Did That.